Coming up next, Penelope Finley continues her transition from lightweight celebrity journalist to hard-hitting social news reporter with her ongoing series on the surprising politics of some of children's television's best-loved shows. In the summer of 1977, a group of young left-wing BBC writers and producers came together to create a now-forgotten classic. Combining the endearing animation of other children's programming of the period, such as The Magic Roundabout and Nog in the Nog, with an unremitting Marxist-Leninist analysis of capitalist power structures, Consumol Kids became an instant classic, but one that is now largely omitted in reviews of the broadcasts of the period. Its makers say due to political reasons, others that the original tapes were lost. But whatever the truth, with newly recovered footage and interviews with those behind the programme, today Archive on 4 examines the origins, impact and legacy of this forgotten classic of children's television. Sammy the Socialist was not happy because Baron von Moneybags had stolen his porridge. Well, I suppose the first thing you remember, of course, is the theme music. Uh, I used to put my children down in front of the television every Tuesday and they would love it. Just love it. The show's writer, Terry White. You can ask them today, they still know all the words. Even if they are in Russian. We were criticised for using the whole three minutes for the theme, uh, but we learned quite early on that if you had a theme for three minutes, then I could write an awful lot less story in, and that made things a hell of a lot easier. We did receive criticism for using the Soviet anthem from the time of Joseph Stalin as the theme to a children's television programme, yes. John Ashworth, puppet maker and chief puppeteer. But I've always thought of those criticisms as overtly political, so I've never lost any sleep over them. Reuniting producer Leonard Gardner, puppeteer John Ashworth and writer Terry White, for the first time in 30 years, they told me how the show began. Well, the idea originally came from a project of John's, actually. Leonard Gardner. He had been trying, unsuccessfully as it turned out, to manage an all-girl pop group with a Leninist philosophy... They were the first real pioneers of social realist disco. What were they called again, John? The Apparatchiks. We actually reached number five with our first single, Brezhnev Bebop. But unfortunately, we were unable to utilise any of the proceeds of the record sales, tainted as they were by the stench of free market capitalism. <laughs> a socialist colleague helped us out with some airtime on Radio 1 for our follow-up single, Material Dialectic Girl but it's very hard for a Marxist pop group to survive outside of a communist economy. Like a fish out of water? Yes. If that fish were Trotsky. The Apparatchiks comprised John's 15-year-old daughter, Vladimir, and four of her school-aged friends. I would have to say that they were more innocent times back then. It was a lot more relaxed. For example, when we went on tour, it was just me, a, a band of pubescent girls in a camper van for two weeks. There wasn't any of this hysteria about paedophilia like there is nowadays. Which made it a lot easier. Uh, made what a lot easier? Never mind. 
but, but, but the idea for the show uh, sort of sprung out of that, really. Writer, Terry White. A show for children, uh, mixing bright colours, even more colourful characters, and, and Marx's notion of historical materialism. Despite disappointing ratings for the first episodes, Comsomol Kids soon became the most popular children's television programme in Britain, to such an extent that Leonard Gardner, in an interview at the time, said that the show had dicked all over Andy Pandy, comments he has since apologised for. But with great success came greater scrutiny of the show and its makers, particularly its hardline Stalinism. I questioned Terry White about the teen's political allegiances at the time. Is it true that in the office there was a collected works of Stalin on the top shelf? No, 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 that's, that's not true, no, no, no. It was on the windowsill. We also had a collected Lenin at one point, but it was purged. Uh, uh, sorry, I, I mean uh, recycled. Talking to puppet maker John Ashworth, I put to him the accusation that the programme's makers were latter-day examples of Stalin's useful idiots. I, I don't think there was anything particularly useful about it. We, we were just making a children's television show. It wasn't particularly useful. Not in the Marxist sense of the word, anyway. With discontent rising almost as fast as the viewing figures, the BBC came under vigorous criticism and faced calls to take the show off air. Detractors pointed to political oppression in the USSR, most famously Conservative MP Thomas Whitless Murdoch Dacre, who gave a speech in Parliament decrying the BBC as The British arm is a KGB, Brezhnev's Broadcast Corporation. An affront to the free peoples of the West who turn to their media organizations not for propaganda, but to look at tits. Controversially, the team dealt with the issue head on in the now infamous episode Class Traitors in Cake. Leonard Gardner. Well, we'd all become aware of opinions from certain quarters expressing, shall we say, discontent with certain aspects of the Soviet programme. And they would peddle all the usual myths about state torture, orchestrated famine, mass deportations, and all those other fairy tales. We felt it was important to show a defence of the motherland and how, in the attainment of world socialism, sacrifices did have to be made. Now, yes, yes, you might say those sacrifices were the fingernails and cigarette-disfigured faces of ordinary Soviet citizens, accused only of the vaguest thought crimes by a system reliant upon terror to instil conformity— but we do at least agree, therefore, that sacrifices were made. In Class Traitors and Cake, Sammy the Socialist bakes a delicious Lenin drizzle cake for Polly, leaving it on her doorstep. When he returns the next day to find all the cake has been eaten, but not one member of the village Soviet has had a piece, he denounces Polly as a class traitor. Despite at first denying any knowledge of the incident, under interrogation Polly confesses her crimes, before publicly thanking the KGB agent for her re-education. It was a torture scene shown at quarter past four in the afternoon that prompted a public outcry. I do regret looking back some aspects of how we approached that episode. John Ashworth. But I think I, for one, certainly got so caught up in the challenge of accurately representing the female genitalia after electrodes have been applied, using only the traditional puppet-making mediums have felt 
and chicken wire that I, that I think in the excitement of it all, we lost sight of the bigger picture, which was to show the human face of the KGP. Oh, what you have to remember, of course, about class traders and cake. Terry White. Is that as we learned at the end of the episode, uh, Polly didn't eat the cake after all. Uh, it was Baron von Moneybags. Uh, but Polly's sacrifice wasn't for nothing, as she made an excellent example to all the other citizens. I, I mean puppets. Even though she hadn't done anything wrong. Well, it's not really relevant, is it? I mean, the fact is, justice was seen to be done. Brutally. Yes. The show's sympathetic portrayal of the KGB to a target audience of under-10s wasn't the only element that created controversy. Komsomol kids also came in for criticism from feminist writers, otherwise sympathetic to the show's broader political message, who argued that the programme showed women to be culturally and legally inferior to their male counterparts, for example in this extract from the episode Wedding Cake, in which Polly and Sam are married. What's that, Polly? Within the terms of your marriage contract, you have no recourse to a legal concept of rape. Even if your husband forces intercourse upon you against your will... Well, it's a good thing those are awfully big words to understand for a pretty little thing like you, isn't it? That's right. Now, wipe the tears from off that lovely dress, cover up those bruises with some long sleeves, and pop along back to the kitchen. There's a good girl. I put the comments of Maureen Clark, Professor of Pro-Soviet British Children's Television, 1970 to 1970, from the University of Dorking to producer Leonard Gardner. Leonard. Clark calls attention to the ineffectual passive nature of the Polly character, arguing that, in unquestioningly championing the Russian machismo identity, Comsmol Kiss left entirely unchallenged the inequalities of power inherent to sexual relationships in a patriarchal socialist system. What would you say to that? I would say that it's a very insightful comment. For a woman. Look, were there elements to the programme that we would change now? Yes, begrudgingly. Um, but it's a product of its time and you have to accommodate for that. Even the episode where Socialist Sam starts drinking at 7am, throws up in a park at 11am, sleeps through the afternoon on a bench and returns home to beat Polly brutally before passing out with a bottle of vodka. Oh, you mean the episode Holiday? Well, like I say, we'd make some changes if we made it today. Probably start with the title. Comsomol kids also faced accusations of anti-Semitism, something the show's writer, Terry White, passionately disputes. Look, if it's anti-Semitic to have your one Jewish character found guilty of a bourgeois Zionist conspiracy against the party and the people of the United Soviet Socialist Republics and executed by firing squad before being flung into an unmarked grave in Siberia, then fine, Komsomol Kids was anti-Semitic. But if not, then I really don't see what all the fuss was about. So it was then? Oh yes, almost certainly. Despite, or perhaps because of its immense popularity, the BBC decided not to recommission a second series. With political pressure around left-wing militantism growing and the winter of discontent only months away, Komsomol Kids, with its unapologetic calls to the nation's children to rise up in a total and violent overthrow of Britain's capitalist system, apparently proved too contentious, something Leonard Gardner disputes. You want to know the real reason they pulled us? I'll tell you. It was Brezhnev. He fucked us. Apparently he was an absolute nut... For noggin the nog, 
and a mole of the bee, but let it be known back in Moscow that it was either us or that Viking bastard that was going to be recommissioned. So he twanged on one or two of his strings high up in children's television, and what do you know, we got the chop. But despite its short life on air, Comsmall Kids has had an influence on children's television far greater than its six episodes would suggest, with many commentators linking the October Revolution episode of In the Night Garden directly to the influence of Comsmall Kids. And even individual characters have had successful afterlives, most notably Lenin the Hamster, who embarked almost immediately upon a solo pop career, John Ashworth. He's probably best remembered nowadays for his 1977 Christmas number one, The Stairway to Lenin, but it would be a mistake to omit his other work from any serious review, including his avant-garde reinterpretation of Pink Floyd's Money. <laughs> Six minutes, 22 seconds of silence. Each moment in time representing a socialist world untainted by bourgeois commerce. <laughs> And that's not to forget his cover of Midnight Train to Georgia. Although in this case, the Georgia in question was the country, and the train was actually going to Gory, birthplace of Stalin. And what of the makers of the programme? What are they doing now? And have their political views changed? Terry White stopped writing for television in 1981 in order to become a full-time revolutionary. After spending the 1990s gun-running for the FARC in Colombia, he retired in 2004 to Yorkshire. Despite the democratic revolutions of the last 30 years, he remains defiant about the future of communism. Well, I suppose it all depends on what you mean by failure, really. I mean, if you count the fall of the Berlin Wall as the failure of communism, then I suppose it would be possible to conclude that Marx got it wrong. Uh, but I think you'll find that me and the chaps at Tinsley Communist Party and Bowling Club would disagree. Leonard Gardner continued to work for the BBC until the early 1990s, but says he considers his greatest achievement to be victory in the Best Lawn in Britain competition, 1986. He attributes success to his unorthodox gardening techniques, applying the economic theory of Friedrich Engels to grass management. About Marxism more generally, however, he is now less dogmatic. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and communism was by no means the biggest as I was saying to my wife just the other day. And John Ashworth. Well, I've lived alone since the death of my mother. But I, I do have a lot of friends, so I don't feel particularly lonely. Yes, they are puppets. But in many ways, I've come to the conclusion that true communism can only really be achieved with puppets. As soon as you introduced real-life people, I find it becomes very hard for them not to laugh at your moustache, and the vast majority of them will refuse to refer to you as Stalin. Comsomol Kids was a made-up production for Radio 4. The presenter was Penny Wax, and the producer, Vladimir Ashworth. And next week you can hear Penny's investigation into the surprising political subtext of another classic of children's television. That's When Paddington Met Pinochet, at the same time next week. Alternatively, you can still listen to last week's show, Bagpuss, Hitler and Me, on BBC iPlayer.
Radio 4's twice-weekly look at the world of technology continues in half an hour, when Rita Robinson interviews James Winthrop, inventor of the flat-screen microwave. That's tomorrow, today, today and tomorrow, at half past three. But before that, on Radio 4, our new series challenging BBC presenters to try something new. This week, John Humphreys talks about his experience of colonic irrigation in I Didn't Know I Had It In Me. Please note this show is also available with subtitles for those hard of thinking.